Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 146. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so a while ago, you guys might remember that I ran a poll about PMS and endo and I wanted to know what symptoms you guys struggled with. And it turns out that the majority of you get low moods during your luteal phase. So that's kind of the phase after um, you ovulate until your period. And in fact, out of the hundreds of you who entered the poll, I think it was like 800 people entered the poll, 93% said you struggle with low moods and mood swings during the luteal phase. So today's episode is the first in a two-part series. Today, I'm going to take you through one of the key causes of PMS mood swings, and I'm going to provide you with my go-to strategy for starting to tackle it. And then in the second episode, I'll be taking you through the secondary causes and strategies. So number one, where we're starting is to balance your blood sugar. And truly, this is one of the most important things you can do, guys, if you want to improve your moods during this time, if you want to lower inflammation, and if you want to balance your hormones. This is really key, and this is why I'm starting here. If you've got your blood sugar under control, if it's sorted, then clearly this isn't your main cause and the next two causes in the future episode will be more relevant. And they are low progesterone and low neurotransmitter levels, so you kind of know to look out for that. But we're starting with blood sugar because this is foundational to hormone health and plays a really big role in PMS and it actually could be the reason why you have low progesterone anyway. And I just wanted to um, say a quick trigger warning here. This episode does discuss portion sizes, um, kind of ratios of food. So if that feels like triggering for you, then feel free to skip this episode. You could maybe listen to the information bit. And then when I talk about how we do it, just stop listening. And that will just give you um, the info you need, but you'll skip the kind of triggering part. 
So let's look at what blood sugar has to do with moods specifically, because you've heard me talk about blood sugar a lot before, but not in the relation to not in relation to mood swings during PMS, kind of having PMS symptoms. So blood sugar, as a recap, blood sugar is the measurement of glucose in our blood. Glucose comes from complex carbohydrates like fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, etc. And it is our body's and our brain's primary fuel source. And and for us to feel energized and have stable energy levels all day long, we need to have a steady drip of glucose filtering into our blood. We don't need a lot of it, but we need a steady drip, a constant drip. When we're eating a diet that consists of complex carbohydrates, that also, you know, and the diet also includes healthy fats, proteins, and lots of fiber, this naturally ensures good blood sugar levels. But glucose also comes from refined carbohydrates, such as sugars like honey, maple syrup, and standard white sugar, and baked processed products like bread, cake, and pizza, right? All of the comfort food. Um, These foods contain a lot of carbohydrate and little fiber. They are made of simple carbohydrates, meaning that they break down very, very quickly in the gut. Complex carbohydrates are called complex carbs because their chemical structure is made of long trains of glucose linked together. So like kind of glucose um, molecules holding hands in a long chain. And that takes a body longer to break down because they don't want to let go of each other. In contrast, simple carbs are made of very short chains of glucose that are easy for the body to break down. And so this creates a huge surge of glucose that's pumped very quickly into your bloodstream. What happens in this scenario is that your body panics. It's a stressor to the body to have this much glucose in the blood at any one time. So it releases a hormone called insulin. Insulin usually delivers glucose to our cells for fuel, right? That's normal. But when we have too much glucose, it's released in really high amounts and it pushes the glucose into the liver and fat cells for storage. So what it does is it travels around the body, picking up all of this excess glucose from the bloodstream and kind of sticking it in the cells, trying to get out of the way. This equally happens really quickly as well. In fact, it happens a little too quickly because the body has sort of overestimated the amount of insulin it needed to release and it releases too much and the insulin accidentally takes too much glucose out of the blood in its rush to clean things up and our blood sugar levels plummet. This leaves us hungry pretty soon afterwards and we end up on a blood sugar roller coaster needing more refined carbs and sugar to fuel us and to get our blood blood sugar levels back up to a healthy level. So if you think about what happens at, you know, Christmas day or after you've had a big meal, you know, you think when you're eating the meal, you're like, oh, I couldn't eat another thing. And then an hour later, you're suddenly like, oh, I could eat something sweet. I I could, yeah, I really kind of really fancy some chocolate right now. So your body has crashed and now it's needing something to pick it back up. That's why you get really sleepy after a big meal. So, but of course the issue is eating more sugar or processed carbs won't take us to healthy levels. Your body's trying to get back up to a normal level of blood sugar, but it's trying to do that in the quickest way it can. And it knows the quickest way it can is simple carbohydrates, but all that will do is spike our blood sugar levels once more. So we're temporarily feel good, 
but then we crash again and so that cycle continues. The result is that we spend our days going through highs and lows and this blood sugar roller coaster feels like hunger, irritability, anger, moodiness, tearfulness, anxiety or feelings of panic, shakiness, feeling sleepy after meals, having mid-morning and mid-afternoon energy stumps, cravings for caffeine, sugar or refined carbohydrates, trouble falling asleep, waking up in the middle of the night kind of feeling a bit wired or struggling to wake up in the morning. And another sign could be feeling thirsty a lot. You don't have to have all of these symptoms, but if you have a few of them, it's likely your blood sugar levels need improving, especially if you're getting low moods during the luteal phase. So what's this got to do with PMS? Well, in the first half of our cycle, this is super interesting, from menstruation to ovulation, as estrogen rises, we're actually more insulin sensitive because estrogen actually boosts the effectiveness of insulin. So this means we respond well to insulin, so we're getting in glucose and making energy effectively. We're satisfied more easily and we feel satiated for longer because the body is getting the energy it needs. Basically, we're more responsive to insulin and that in turn helps us to have balanced blood sugar levels and it stops us from craving all the sugar. We're kind of satiated more easily. But in contrast, in the second half of our cycle, when progesterone rises, we actually become less insulin sensitive because progesterone can dampen the effectiveness of insulin. That means that, you know, the same meal you ate the week before may no longer satisfy you because your body is not taking in the glucose from insulin in the same way. There is actually a um, kind of metabolic um, condition called insulin resistance and it develops before you develop type 2 diabetes. And it's when the body starts becoming resistant to insulin. So your blood sugar levels keep rising, but your body can't can't accept the glucose. So your body thinks you're starving, but your blood sugar levels are sky high. So that's not what's happening here, but I'm just explaining this to demonstrate like kind of um, how you can be insulin resistant or sensitive to insulin. So in this situation, you're less sensitive to insulin. You're having a harder time taking the energy from insulin. As a result, you might be more susceptible to blood sugar highs and lows, and you might end up eating more refined carbs, sugar, etc., because you still feel hungry, or maybe you feel less energized, so your body is telling you to eat foods with a quick energy fix. And this is likely why 84% of you in the poll said that you get cravings during this time. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. This, of course, can create those blood sugar crashes that leave you feeling anxious, tearful, irritable, or moody. This is one of the key reasons that we can feel low during the luteal phase, which is why we start here. 
And in the follow-up episode, I'm going to take you through the other causes, but by working on your blood sugar levels, you'll actually be preventing the other causes from happening in the first place, in, in many cases anyway. So this is the foundation we really want to have in place as our sort of baseline. Once this is in place, we can clearly and accurately see whether there's any other issues left over that are affecting your moods in this part of your cycle. So there are a few key strategies for balancing blood sugar, but we're going to start with the main strategy to get you going. Ideally, we want to practice this all month long because it's going to lower inflammation and regulate your hormones. So your PMS will be better in the long run anyway, and your pain will be better too. But at the very minimum, it will be helpful to bring this strategy in from ovulation onwards until your period so that we can manage those blood sugar levels in that luteal phase. So the strategy is to eat healthy fats, fiber from veggies, complex carbohydrates and protein with every single meal. And so this looks like 50% of your plate or, you know, half your plate should be covered with low starchy veggies. This is where your complex carbs and fiber will come from. And this is important because carbs give you energy and the fiber slows down the release of glucose because it takes longer to digest foods with fiber. So think asparagus, broccoli, kale, tomatoes, peppers, cucumber, aubergine, cauliflower, etc. I mean, you know, low starchy veggies is an endless list. 25% of your plate should be protein or, you know, a quarter of your plate. And that should be equal to the size and thickness of your palm. We need about 20 grams of protein per meal on average. Now you can work out very specifically what your protein intake should be for your size. Um, but on average, it's about 20 grams of protein at least per meal. So that's not 20 grams of beans or chicken, but how much protein is actually in the food itself, right? So you might be eating 40 grams of beans, but there's only 20 grams of protein in them. I just made that up. I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the um, amount would be. But don't worry, you don't need to start weighing things up right now. Just start with the ratios, um, the portions and the portion sizes now. If you're still getting hungry after meals, check how much protein you're actually eating and then you can up it if, it, if need be. For me, it works out at about three to four ounces of animal protein. Um, but if you're eating beans or a protein-rich grain like quinoa or brown rice, you're probably going to need to up your levels with, say, um, a dressing made of nut butter or an egg or maybe a tablespoon or two of seeds or nuts. And also remember that beans and grains also count as complex carbs. So keep that in mind for when I get to the complex carbs bit. Next up, we want the final 25% to be split between starchier complex carbs and healthy fats. For healthy fats, we're looking at a two golf ball sized serving or, you know, two heaped tablespoons. And that could be equal to half a small avocado, two tablespoons of olive oil, two tablespoons of nut butter, etc. And fat helps to slow down blood sugar release. So that's why it's really important for blood sugar. And it's actually essential for hormone production, by the way. So that's an added bonus. The starcher carbs would consist of a small handful of something like root vegetables, such as sweet potato or parsnips, or maybe some quinoa or beans if you haven't had them already as your protein source. And so this is where it has to be very individual, as if you already have beans or grains, you might not need that extra starch boost. 
And instead, you could just add some extra veggies. So your plate is around, say, 60 to 65 percent of veg. But if you have, say, beans on your plate for your protein source and you tend to burn a lot of energy during the day because you're a very active person, you might need a little sweet potato too or maybe some grains if you don't want sweet potato. And if you've got meat as your protein source but you're also a very, very active person, that serving of starch or carbs might need to be a little bit bigger than someone who has meat on their plate but isn't very active. It has to be tailored to you and what your body needs. So for example, my blood sugar cannot tolerate grains and beans in the same meal. I crash and burn hard, but I have a job where for the most part, other than using a standing desk a couple of times a day and my usual exercise routine, I don't have a very physically demanding lifestyle. But if you're, say, a nurse in a busy hospital or you're a dance teacher or you're an athlete, you'll probably feel like you do better with that extra fuel. And in fact, one of my clients who's a dance teacher, she always needs some kind of grain with her meals or her blood sugar gets too low because she's always burning it off. Another thing I want to mention here is our blood sugar responses to grains can be very, very different and individual. Some people find that grains give them a steady release of fuel. Others find that they spike their blood sugar levels quickly and then crash. And that's me. Especially after like oatmeal, I can have a big filling bowl, but find myself starving and shaky an hour later, if not sooner. So if you do respond like that to grains, but you want to eat them regularly, you might need to up your fat and protein to really slow down the blood sugar, the glucose release. So this is where we get started. It might sound a bit fiddly, but over time you'll gradually grow accustomed to it and you'll notice when one of these food groups is missing and you won't really think about it. It would just be your normal like makeup of a meal. And in the show notes, I've linked to a great diagram that shows how this would look on a plate. So you can always print that off and have it on your fridge if that helps. Now, there are other steps to balancing your blood sugar, but it can take some time to adjust to this one. So this is where I'd suggest for you to start, and then you can visit my past episodes on blood sugar to learn more. Or I think, I'm thinking about maybe releasing a standalone workshop on nutrition and blood sugar. Um, So you can, if I do that, you can always sign up to that if you'd like a deep dive and a a step-by-step process. But start here give it at least one cycle and see how you're doing. Obviously, you might need to give yourself a couple of cycles if if you're trying to get used to it um, and, you know, you haven't got, got it quite down, but at least give yourself one cycle. Now, of course, if you're constantly spiking your blood sugar levels with chocolate and sweets, then balancing your meals won't really cancel that out. So just just be mindful of that. It would be a great start. But if you are eating like a a lot of sugar as well, then that's still going to be affecting your blood sugar levels. So start there. And I just want to leave you with one last tip to really get you off on the right track. So make sure your breakfast is fat and protein rich. Really don't skip these two. If you're having something like oatmeal, you're going to need to add Um, a lot of nut butter and something else. Nut butter is not going to be enough on its own. You maybe need to have some protein powder in there or a protein shake on the side or maybe have two eggs on the side or some people are now whipping eggs into their oatmeal. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it's a thing. Um, 
and that's going to help balance out that carb content and slow down the release. So keep that in mind when you start your day and you'll find balance in your blood sugar levels much easier as you go throughout the rest of your day. So start there. Let me know how you get on. I would love to hear how you get on um, and if this was helpful for you. And I'll be releasing the follow-up episode in a couple of weeks. Hope you guys have a lovely week. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 